no-government-intervention philosophy. This view had dominated economic discussions before Keynes's general theory was published. Neoclassical theory held that if everyone was motivated by self-interest, then, as the Scottish classical economist Adam Smith had written in 1776, the invisible hand of the marketplace would assure an economy of full employment and stable prices. Keynes, as he stated in his letter to George Bernard Shaw, believed that his book would show the errors of classical and neoclassical theory. He believed it would revolutionize how economists perceive the actual operations of a market economy. Neoclassical economic theory had attempted to demonstrate that a market economy, operating without any government regulation or interference, results in the best of all possible economic worlds. Followers of this theory believe that if the government intervenes in economic matters, things can only become worse. So if the government did not interfere with the invisible hand of the market during the Great Depression, only the weak and the inefficient would be weeded out, leaving a stronger and more powerful economy. This view, that stronger members of society will prevail over time, came to be known as social Darwinism. In true social Darwinian fashion, neoclassical theory asserted that what was occurring was a case of survival of the fittest. When the economic system soon righted itself, neoclassicists predicted it would regenerate full employment and prosperity for all, and the system would be even stronger than before. Keynes began his general theory by arguing that traditional economic thought did not describe the economy of his day. This theory upon which I was brought up, and which dominates the economic thought, both practical and theoretical, of the governing and academic classes of this generation, happens not to be that of the economic society in which we actually live, with the result that its teaching is misleading and disastrous if we attempt to apply it to the facts of experience. Many years later, Nobel Prize-winning economist James Tobin of Yale was to say of Keynes's approach, John Maynard Keynes had the audacity to claim the discovery of massive, endemic, possibly chronic market failure. Keynes was quite explicit in this contention, opposing his general theory to what he called classical theory. He clearly meant theory that would now be called neoclassical. The neoclassical belief that a free enterprise system inevitably generates full employment and prosperity was grounded in an old economic proposition known as Say's Law. In 1803, a French economist, Jean-Baptiste Say, wrote that products always exchange for products. In 1808, the English economist James Mill translated Say's dictum as supply creates its own demand. And this phraseology has since been established in economics as Say's Law. Disputes about what Say's Law means have raged ever since. And this is the economic law that Keynes rails against in his general theory. Let's briefly review Say's Law. In plain terms, we can explain what is meant by the phrase, supply creates its own demand, as follows. People produce, that is, they supply things to the market, in order to earn income to buy or demand other things from the market. John Stuart Mill's interpretation of Say's Law implies that there can never be a depression, for the very act of production creates enough income to purchase everything that is produced. Unemployment should not occur, 
since businessmen seeking profits will always be able to find enough demand to sell any output produced by workers. In a says law world, ultimately goods exchange for goods. Money, in Mill's words, is only a veil behind which the real economy operates, unhampered by financial considerations. The total production of goods and services in a nation, which modern economists call the gross national product, or GNP, is therefore independent of financial considerations such as the money supply. It logically follows that any increase in the quantity of money will merely push up the prices. In other words, it will cause inflation. This increase in the money supply results in, as a well-worn economic homily states, too much money chasing too few goods. Over time, Mill's view of money as a veil was accepted as a fundamental tenet of neoclassical economics. By the early 20th century, it became the prevailing orthodoxy in economic textbooks. As economic theory developed a more scientific foundation, the concept of money as a veil was translated into a technical axiom called the neutrality of money. Yet Keynes and his followers have developed an analytical system that rejects the neutrality of money. Keynesian economics rejects Say's law as a principle that can be applied to a capitalist system. In 1933, Keynes described the general theory upon which he was working and its rejection of the theory that money is neutral. Booms and depressions are peculiar to an economy in which money is not neutral. I believe that the next task is to work out in some detail such a monetary theory of production. That is the task on which I am now occupying myself in some confidence that I am not wasting my time. No wonder Keynes's general theory was considered revolutionary, if not heretical. It struck at the very foundation of accepted economic doctrine, the neutrality of money. As we might expect, Keynes's analysis was not readily accepted by most neoclassical economists. The logic of Keynes and his followers denies the most cherished neoclassical assertion that money is neutral. Hence, it denies the conclusion that a free enterprise economy in the long run always assures full employment for all those who want to work. Keynes was highly successful in altering policy directions during the Great Depression and for two decades after World War II. Despite this, neoclassical economics survived during this period. In fact, it never was wiped out by the so-called Keynesian Revolution. In many ways, neoclassical ideas about the way that markets relate to each other have dominated the work of many recent Nobel Prize winners in economics. How could Keynesian and neoclassical ideas both persist, despite their contrary nature? The answer, according to economists who call themselves post-Keynesians, lies partly in the sociology of the economics profession and in its development since the 1930s. Especially important has been the desire of many economists to be recognized as practitioners of a so-called hard science discipline. These economists believe economics is fundamentally different and more strictly scientific than others of the so-called social sciences, especially compared to its softer social science sisters such as sociology or political science. Beginning in the 1930s, at about the same time that Keynes was publishing his general theory, 
Sophisticated mathematical methods were used to develop neoclassical theory into what appeared to be a more rigorous formal discipline. This mathematized version of neoclassical theory is called general equilibrium theory or Walrasian equilibrium analysis. This analysis has its roots in the work of Leon Walras, the 19th century French economist who developed the first mathematical version of this theory. The rigor of mathematics is used by many economists to claim that their discipline is a hard science. Professor Tobin states that this Walrasian approach, or general equilibrium theory, is the basis of modern economics. Modern general equilibrium theory is the basic paradigm of our discipline, and as it happens, the scientific counterpart of the common central theme of the conservative counter-revolutions, the invisible hand. Tobin claims that the invisible hand theory may be based on unrealistic assumptions. Where does the modern version of the theory leave the invisible hand? Well, two quite opposite responses are conceivable. On the one hand is the good news. The intuitions of Adam Smith and many later writers can indeed be rigorously formulated and proved. The bad news is that the theorems depend on a host of conditions, many of dubious realism. Restrictions on preferences and technologies are stringent. The theory does not describe a process in real time by which the economy reaches an equilibrium solution. The modern version might be taken to refute, not to support, the applicability of invisible hand propositions to real-world economies. As we learn about the ongoing debate between neoclassical economists and post-Keynesians, we shall see that neoclassical economists are relying primarily on Tobin's good news.